Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program's Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 9. It's kind of an obtuse gospel and one that really not quite sure how to interpret it sometimes and how to take it or what it means or why it shows up at this particular time in the liturgy. But it is something that basically raises the fundamental issues of our lives. The issue of why are we, why are we here? What is our mission? What's, what's the purpose of all this? And in a very succinct and kind of concrete sort of way, the gospel unfolds some of the Lord's responses to those questions and does so <clears throat> in a way that when we take it apart and look at it a little bit, it's, it's actually fairly easy to understand. And, uh, and we can take a lot of time with a gospel like this and use it as a, a meditation, use it as a reflection, as we kind of search over and over again into our own souls, into our own lives, um, for many of the answers that we spend our life um, trying to answer. And so the gospel begins, some people arrived and told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Um, now, the background of that apparently is, the Galileans were always suspect when they came to Jerusalem <clears throat> because they seemed to be a hotbed of revolutionary ideas. This is one of the things that, of course, caused prejudice against Jesus from the beginning, that he was a Galilean. And apparently, something like this, what we'll be talking about is that the Galileans gathered at the temple while their sacrifices were being offered. Pontius Pilate um, apparently uh, suspected them of, uh, of fomenting some kind of violence, some kind of revolutionary activity, had them killed, and so while their sacrifices were being offered to the Lord, to the Lord their blood was also spilled at the temple as well. And this, and then Jesus said to them, now do you suppose these Galileans who suffered like that were greater sinners than any other Galileans? And then he says, no, they were not. But what is true is that they thought at the time, it was thought if someone died unexpectedly, if someone would died violently in some way, shape, or form, that it was a, a personal retribution because of their personal sins. Jesus said, I tell you, no, that's not, that's not the way it was. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. In other words, that, uh, no, they, they weren't greater sinners than anybody else, but they were sinners like everybody else. And part of the response to being a sinner is to repent. And if you don't repent, then that places you in great danger of the kind of things that, that uh, people say, you know, have seen particularly tragic in, in, uh, in violent deaths, in, uh, in unexpected deaths, in accidental deaths, and so forth. And then, 
they, they, he, they go, then he says to them, do you suppose <clears throat> the 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you suppose that they were more guilty than all other people living in Jerusalem? They were not. No idea what happened, but apparently they were f killed by falling rocks, 18 people killed by falling rocks from the tower of Siloam. And, um, and so, once again, unexpected, freakish kind of accident. Obviously, in the minds, popular minds, that meant some kind of divine retribution. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not true. But unless you repent, you'll all perish as they did. In other words, death is the, is the ultimate punishment for human sinfulness. We know that from the story of the Garden of Eden. We know that in the case of the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of Mary, she escaped the punishments for sin since she was without sin. But she says, but the gospel infers that all people live now under the judgment of God. And that therefore, part of the purpose of our life is to reconcile with him. That, that born <clears throat> in alienation from God, we are, the reconcile begins with our baptisms, is nurtured and fed by the sacraments throughout our lives. And ultimately, um, having lived as long as each of us will live, we have in some ways repented sufficiently through the grace of the sacraments, been joined through the church to Jesus Christ, and therefore can be saved. And, uh, and so then he went on to illustrate what he was talking about here in the gospel. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but found none. He said to the man who looked after the vineyard, look here, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and finding none. Cut it down, why should it be taking up the ground? Sir, the man replied, leave it, to one, leave it one more year. Give me time to dig around it and manure it. It may bear fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. This is, <clears throat> this is very dramatically then in the story of everyone who has not repented. We are, the we are the barren fig trees of the world. We are the ones who God continues to seek and to look for those things, that good fruit from us, that virtuous life from us, that, that caring and, 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 and loving life from us. All of that. <clears throat> and yet nothing happens that we are given the graces, we are given the invitations, we are guided and led by people God sends to guide us and to lead us. And uh, in, in the church, um, it, it's, it's the role of, of every member of the church to evangelize, in other words, to bring to conversion, and everyone else in the church in a special way, of course, the clergy who um, have been set aside by sacrament to be the ones who um, who offer the means of salvation to, uh, to the people of the church who seek to find and to grow closer to Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> it is, in a way, we could say that the man who comes by looking for the fruit is, is the father. And the man who says, leave it one more year and give me some time to dig around it and manure it, it may bear fruit in, in, um, next year. If not, then you can cut it down. Obviously, this is the Redeemer. This is the Son. This is the one who works with us through the sacramental life of the church. This is the one who has come individually to save us. 
um, and uh, and and who has has pleaded with with the Father, um, just as Moses pleaded with God to spare the Hebrew people. So Jesus too speaks in prayer with the Father about giving humanity another chance. Um, <clears throat> And so it has something to do with the patience of God, and it has something to do with the power of God, and it has something to do with the mercy of God. And that although there are unfortunate things that happen in our lives, there are all sorts of things, they don't really mean that that's a punishment for personal sin. Jesus has said that in the very beginning. Um, and we know, we, we know that the Pharisees actually um, messed around with this idea a little bit too much. And although it is the biblical perspective that human sinfulness is guilty for the misfortunes of humanity, that that is not because of the individual, but because of the corporate sinfulness of humanity coming out of the original sin and coming down through the ages, um, constantly um, aware of the damage done and oftentimes unwilling to correct it. So that what happens is, is that um, we, we move onward in all of this, and in so doing, we, um, we find that uh, we ourselves have to examine our consciences, we have to look at things, and we have to say to ourselves, um, what is my relationship with the Lord? And what, what is really the purpose and the meaning of my life? Well, the purpose and the meaning of my life is to bear good fruit, so that we, um, as the image of the, uh, the image, the fig tree is an image of of, of us in the Gospels. Um, when we don't do anything with the gifts that the Lord gives us, when we when we remain in in kind of a deadness of soul, despite the opportunities that we have. Um, it, it, becomes, it becomes kind of unpleasant, and it becomes, um, in a way, something very, very negative in the world and very negative in our personal lives. Um, I, I, th I think that when we understand and we know the great gift that the Lord gives us through the sacraments, and we see people in some ways simply ignoring them, having no use for them, and remaining in some kind of, uh, of gray nothingness in their lives by, by choice. Um, how, many, how many Christians have walked away from the faith? How many Catholics no longer go to Mass? Um, 60 years ago, we had something like 75% of our people went to Mass every Sunday. Now we have something like 20% of our people going to Mass every Sunday. Where is the 55%? Where did they go? They walked away from the sacrament. They, they walked away from the opportunity to become who the Lord created them to be. They, they have left. They have gone on their own. And, uh, and not being there for for the Lord to say, leave me one more year and give me time to dig around it. Um, for the Lord gives us the grace and the Lord gives us these moments of encounter and these loving moments of encounter, in, uh, especially in Eucharist, but also in baptism, marriage, ordination, anointing, all of those, penance, all of those. 
are times for an encounter with the living God beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, the one whom we, who is our origin and the one who is our destiny. St. Bernard says to us, one of the most important things that we can do interiorly in our lives is come to know ourselves in the course of a lifetime. And he said, you can't do that unless you uh, know your origin and your destiny. Because the, I, the, we have no identity separated from our source. In other words, as creatures, um, which is what we are, and we have no identity, therefore, separate from the Creator. And uh, we can't be creatures if we weren't created. And so, basically then, to unknow myself as a creature of God, to know myself as created by God, and to know that the destiny of that creation was to be with him forever in eternity. And that is the clearest and deepest definition of who we are as persons. What do we do with that relationship in the course of our lifetime? People have tried in many ways to kind of understand this and kind of evaluate the relationship that someone has with the Lord, as in the case of this gospel, the, the Galileans whose blood was mixed with the sacrifice um, and, and therefore died an, an ignominious death or, or the, uh, the ones who were hit by the falling stones at the Tower of Siloam. Um, unexpectedly, um, they simply, their lives were terminated. Um, and then Jesus says, do you suppose they were more guilty than all the other people living in Jerusalem? They were not, I tell you. And, uh, and then he said, but unless you repent, you will all perish like them. In other words, that kind of a death, that kind of uh, of uh, simply meaningless demise is, is that which awaits those who are not integrated inside of themselves, who don't know who they are. Um, and, and knowing who we are has a deeper level to it than knowing about ourselves. I think I've often said we can go to a therapist for 40 years and know all sorts of things about ourselves without having a clue about who we are. And uh, because we have no identity separated from the Creator. And I think that's St. Bernard's point, that the whole thing is supposed to be the great gift of life coming forth from God's love, which draws us back then having been processed through our human experience, back into union with Christ and therefore to share his, his predestination, his destiny, and to be with him and in him then for all eternity. <clears throat> Well, I, I think that, um, that what Jesus is talking about here is the breakdowns along the way in that life's journey that we have. And, you know, we, we can become, and this is, this is some of the trouble that, that we have with, uh, with the spiritual life. In, in many ways, um, we, we simply become too, too focused on ourselves. Can we know ourselves without spending all of our time being focused on ourselves? And the answer, of course, is yes, we can, especially if we know ourselves through our source and through our origin. And if we, therefore, see the Lord as creator, know that it is through the word, John tells us, that everything came to be that is, and that, therefore, the Logos, the Son of God, Jesus, it stands at the foundation of our personal identity. We take our identity from him, and that he therefore is not just an example, 
And that happened, I think, back in the 60s and the 70s when Jesus simply became a model, a role model, along with Nelson Mandela and, uh, and uh, who, whoever else they, they decided to pick up at the time, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, whoever. And so, and that's a complete misunderstanding of the whole thing. All that, all that is then is Jesus becomes a behavioral model for us. And whenever theology and whenever our faith life comes into crisis, there are always those who seek a way to turn it from some kind of doctrinal reality, some kind of transcendent truth, into simply a system of ethics. And, uh, and that happens easily to us. And we find, especially when we see things that are totally unethical, immoral, going on around us, and we become absorbed only with the morality of it all. And, uh, and while that's legitimate, and we should be concerned about that, it leaves aside the human tragedy of the interiority of the people. Um, it leaves aside the human tragedy of the destructiveness of the human person. We see it all the time. We see it in, we, we see it in, in, especially in wars. The violence of, is just almost incomprehensible in a war. Um, I think I read somewhere where the death toll in the First World War, which was a senseless war, it had no purpose, killed 20 million people. What is that? How could we possibly do that? How could Christian nations do that to one another? How could that be? Because we avoided the interiority of the faith, because the faith became a behavioral phenomenon, and we could therefore rationalize that behavior and rationalize our ethics in such a way that we could demonize our enemies. And I think that that happens too often. I remember as a, as a young person, as a grade school child, um, and the Cold War was raging, we, we grew to have a real hatred for Russians. We didn't even know any Russians. I don't know how we could hate them, but we did. And we hated them because we were afraid of them. And uh, we were afraid of them because of their behavior. And, uh, and we felt that the... Uh, that the tyranny, Stalin, the tyranny of Stalin's uh, regime, um, somehow or other, was was demonic, and perhaps it was um, exactly as Hitler's was. But but somehow or other, to condemn an entire group of people, entire race of people, um, because we are afraid of them, and to demonize them, and to help everyone else to think of them as devils. Um, is really, um, it's, 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 a, it's a psychological game. <clears throat> it's a serious sin to do that because you're taking what God has created and you're hating it and you're calling it demonic. And I think that that's a very serious thing that we have to be careful of. We certainly can lament the atrocities that humanity creates and humanity perpetrates upon itself. And we certainly can learn to loathe and to hate the demonic ideologies that, around, that surround us um, and, that, uh, and that afflict our society and our people, not just ourselves but all over the world. We know, for instance, that um, and we can't just see ourselves then as individual persons or as a community of persons who, who are without sin, who are without fault. 
And, uh, and so as we in, 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 in this country um, embrace uh, something as, as dark as Planned Parenthood and we spend hundreds of millions of dollars supporting them of our government money, and we tell people that this is an ideal, this is their way to a happy life, is to take the life of their child. No civilized world turns on its children and kills them. It's barbaric. And uh, understanding the individual personal struggles, but that's what life is all about. And that's what, where we have to know who we are so we know what our struggles are all about. And, uh, and if we don't have any clue of why we're here, and uh, if we don't have any clue about the meaning of our life, then certainly, you know, a straight line uh, is the shortest distance between what I want and how I can get it. Um, and in so doing, of course, we bring in this, this euthanasia business, we bring in this, this sexual mutilation of children business, we bring in all this kind of thing. Um, and so we have very little room to sit back and, and condemn as demonic any other race of people, any other group of people. They are burdened with their sins as well. But when we come to understand that humanity suffers from its own sinfulness and that we are the perpetrators of all of our misery, it doesn't come from God. It comes instead from ourselves. And nothing good will come of demonic behavior. Nothing good will come of a life committed to sinful behavior. At the same time, the solution is not, I mean, the solution is not just simply behavioral alteration. It is a change of the human heart and is a change within, deep within the human soul. That's what we look for in ourselves and that's what we hope through our friendships and relationships and families and so forth to share and bring into the lives of others. Not, which is e not that which is evil within me, but, <clears throat> but that which the Lord has, has redeemed inside of me and that which the sacraments have transformed and that which the sacraments have, have given to me um, and helped me to move beyond the barbaric and demonic stages of, of uh, primitive human life. And yet, it exists. Now, the, uh, what, what can happen then is that you can say, oh, I've seen this, I mean, just destroy it all. Just destroy it all. Um, and the Lord says, no, give me more time. And St. Peter tells us that. That uh, he's, when he says, you know, that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, and uh, and that he's his his hasten his his slowness in coming back is to give us the opportunity to repent, so that now we're not lost as sinners, but we can come to him as saved and redeemed human beings. When in fact <clears throat> we resist that, because we think that our purpose in life is to live in this world as comfortably and as, as conveniently as we can. When we think that, um, then we, we take all the shortcuts. Then we avoid all the obstacles, all the difficulties. And in doing that, of course, we, miss, we, we behave in such a way as though we were not who we were.
And that's a lack of real identity of the human person. The people who advocate, for instance, abortion as some kind of a social solution, um, somehow or other, down deep inside, they're hollow. Down deep inside, there is a darkness. And a darkness which, it's not the individual woman who faces that, when she faces that kind of struggle, but, but certainly the social, the social engineers who construct this reality as, and present it as a good have a very empty interior. There's very little understanding of human nature, very little acceptance of the idea of a creator, and very little acceptance of the truth of who they really are in the depths of their own being. So we look at this gospel and we say to ourselves, what is the Lord trying to tell us from this gospel? First of all, he's trying to tell us that individual sins, our individual sins, is not what brings tragedy upon humanity. That it is human sinfulness itself that brings tragedy upon humanity. It's like in the story of the curing of the blind man, and the, and the, the, uh, the Pharisees say to him, you know, who sinned, you or your parents? Pers trying to personalize it instead of making it a corporate endeavor, making it uh, the people uh, of God and, and the children of God. Um, trying to eliminate that possibility so they're not included under the shadow. But certainly we watched them through the Gospels and they were in the shadow. We also find, too, that what Jesus is saying is that nothing is hopeless and nothing is not worth his attention or not worth his effort that do, does he find someone who is hollow and dark inside of themselves, someone who has no idea where they come from or where they're going, someone who understands and tries to raise the, the level of, of, of Christianity, of faith in Jesus Christ, simply to some kind of an ethical level where they can make rule, behavioral rules and impose them on other people and so forth, instead of looking deep into the soul, into the heart of the other person and desiring Therefore, to bring them more completely um, into an encounter with the mystery of God. Something that would shatter the darkness, something that would penetrate the darkness, something that would leave at least a light for a shaft of light to enter and maybe bring them to confession, maybe bring them to the Mass, maybe bring them to the Eucharist, all of these kinds of things. So that, so that it, and this is exactly what happened to theology in the, in the Reformation. They took the, court, the theology of, of the people, the theology of the church, and personalized it in such a way that they would end up in all sorts of traps like personal predestination and all of those other difficulties. Because that's not what it's all about. We don't live here for ourselves or on our own. We only do that if we don't know who we are. We don't know where we came from, and we don't know where we're going. Let us search that constantly within ourselves and let us be grateful to the living God for having us, first of all, for creating us, secondly, for sustaining us, and thirdly, for redeeming us, that we might find salvation and eternal life. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.
Then.